When our son Matthew was in high school, he played trumpet in the school jazz band. One summer, he went to a jazz camp. And one day, they brought in a professional brass player to talk with those young people about what it took to succeed as a professional. And this jazz player said that he practiced five days a week, and he started off every day playing 90 minutes of scales on his trumpet, followed by 90 minutes of fingering exercises. Now think about that, this man was a professional. He knew way more than the basics, but every day of his work day, he spent three hours reviewing, rehearsing, practicing the basics. Because he knew that if he got sloppy in the basics, that his musicianship over time would deteriorate. And so he revisited the basics of his craft every single work day. When Matthew came home and told me that, I was fascinated by it. And then I thought, well, that shouldn't strike me uh, uh, by surprise because we see that same principle at work in many different professions. When you make it to the pinnacle in baseball and you're a professional baseball player, you still take batting practice. Football players practice blocking and tackling and how not to fumble. <laughs> Artists practice their sketching. And it occurs to me that as followers of Jesus, we would do well to follow the example of those kinds of people. You see, no matter how long we've been believers, it's good for us also to consistently revisit the basic practices of our faith so we don't get sloppy in the ways that we think and live out our faith. And one of the most basic spiritual practices we've been given by God is prayer. And prayer is basic and it's also essential because prayer is our lifeline to God. And it's also one of the fundamental tools that God uses to bring about change. Because when we pray, God always, always responds in some way. When we pray, things change. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes, God changes the circumstances of whatever it is that we're praying about. And if we're paying attention when we pray, God just might change us in some way. When we pray, things change. And so if we want to see God at work, then prayer should be a priority for each of us. And we need to ensure that we're approaching the practice of prayer in a healthy way. This morning we're going to take a look at what Jesus says about prayer in his Sermon on the Mount. And in the midst of that sermon, he offers what we call the Lord's Prayer. And he gives us the essentials we need for a rich experience of prayer. Now this passage is going to be familiar to many of you, but today we're going to look at it from a different angle. You see, when we, when we teach on the Lord's Prayer, we most often approach it as a template for prayer. 
And so we analyze the different topics and elements that Jesus includes in this sample prayer, and then we strive to follow that pattern and incorporate it into our own prayers. And that's a good approach. It's a valuable approach. Yet I think there's a bigger picture we often overlook. Jesus wants to do more than just teach us the mechanics of prayer. Because effective prayer is not about following a formula. Effective prayer is about meeting God and aligning ourselves with Him and then watching Him work out His will in our lives and watching Him unleash the power of heaven as we pray in accordance with His will. And that's what we're going to explore together today in Matthew chapter 6 starting in verse 5. We're going to talk about the power of heaven at work in and through our prayers. And now, here's what's really interesting. As Jesus teaches about prayer, and he's, as he's ready to give the people listening to him a sample prayer, he does something that's kind of, kind of different and intriguing. He presents the Lord's prayer inside of two distinct bookends. Bookends of teaching that bracket the prayer before and after. And he uses those bookends of teaching to emphasize two key characteristics of healthy, spiritually mature prayer. And that first bookend starts in verse 5, where Jesus emphasizes the importance of approaching God with humility. Let's take a look. This is Jesus speaking in the midst of his Sermon on the Mount. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. That's a pointed phrase, isn't it? For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they might be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus says, if you pray in public for the purpose of getting attention, you're a hypocrite. And as he makes that comment, he has a particular kind of public prayer in mind. He's talking about someone who stands up in the synagogue right, in the worship service, or out on a street corner, standing up and praying aloud. And that was very common behavior for the Pharisees and for other Jews who wanted to demonstrate how spiritual they were. Because as they prayed, here was their attitude, look at me, standing out where you can see me, and I'm praying to God. And particularly if they're out on the street, the attitude was, look at all you people running about your business doing way less important things. And here I am praying and serving as an incredible spiritual role model for you. Look at how devoted I am to God. Jesus obviously would disagree with that attitude. And he makes it clear by his use of the word hypocrite. And here's an interesting thing. We hear that word and we have a particular understanding in our culture, but you may not realize the word hypocrite meant something different in Jesus' day. Hypocrite was a term for a professional actor. Interesting. 
Isn't that intriguing? Professional actor. Now, as we all know, an actor is someone who plays a role. So we go to the movies, and we see an actor on the screen. And we know that the off-screen character of that actor may be and probably is very different than the on-screen character of the actor. And that's because the on-screen actor, that on-screen character, isn't real. That, it's pretend that person's playing a role. I remember a number of years ago watching a movie where an actor and actress played a faithful married couple and watching them live out their marriage on the screen, you would have thought that they were the epitome of marital faithfulness. And yet in the popular press, they both had been, it was clear that both had been married several times, news of their extramarital affairs were always in the popular news. And so what we had is people who in their personal lives were very unfaithful, portraying faithful people and doing it incredibly well. And why could they do it well? Because they were good at acting. Which means they were good hypocrites. Because Jesus understood that term. And so Jesus takes that term from the stage and he now applies it to life because he's pointedly saying that people who show off their spirituality are just playing a part. And yes, if they're good at it, they might convince us that they're deeply spiritual, but Jesus says, oh, no, you're not. You are just acting. And here's what he wants his listeners to understand. Because they are acting at prayer, then the very purpose of prayer is undermined. Instead of loving the privilege of praying to the creator of heaven and earth and connecting with him, these people are loving the opportunity to impress others by playing a role. If that's your motive, you're not very spiritual. In fact, you're being prideful because you're putting the focus on you rather than God. And that is a recipe for weak, ineffectual, powerless prayers. It's no wonder then that Jesus urges us to approach God with humility because humility shifts the focus from us to God. And when we do that, Jesus says God will reward us. He's going to reward us by choosing to hear our prayers and respond in some way. Now, we also need to note that when Jesus urges us to pray in private, he's not banning the use of public prayer. He's simply saying this is one great way to guard against pride. In other words, if you're invited to pray in public and you're the kind of person that's going to be tempted to do that pridefully, showing off, then don't pray in public. Go in a locked door. Go in a private room and pray alone. That's how you protect yourself. Here's the most important thing Jesus is saying, though. When we pray, our primary audience is God. Our primary audience always must be God. One of my favorite stories about this involves a man named Bill Moyer. Some of you may know his name. He's a political news analyst. He's served in governmental administrations. And he's also an ordained minister. Those are things that you don't always see go together. 
but back in the 1960s, Bill Moyer served as the press secretary to President Lyndon Johnson. And one night, he was invited to the White House to have dinner with the president. The president said, Bill, would you give thanks before the meal? And he bowed his head and began to pray. Well, he was praying very, very softly. President Johnson said, Bill, I can't hear you. Speak up. Bill Moyer said, I'm sorry, Mr. President, but I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> oh, what a good response, right? <laughs> now, I do think that when we're praying with others, it's nice if we let them hear. <laughs> Yet Bill Moyers was making a profound statement, a profound point about who the audience is when we pray. The audience is God. It's always God. It must be God. And so when you and I pray aloud with others around, we always have to ask, what's our motive? What's our focus? Who's our audience? Those are the questions Jesus wants us to wrestle with. And these are questions I wrestle with regularly because I regularly pray in front of you. And I regularly pray with some of you when you come up to me and express a need and ask for prayer. And when I pray, I want my prayers to help us focus on God so we can connect more closely with him. Yet when I'm praying here on the platform, or perhaps praying with you one-on-one, oh, I have to focus on God. Because if I enter into that prayer trying to impress you, then I'm letting my pride undermine the very purpose of my prayers. And if that happens, then my sin, the sin of pride, will rob my prayers of their heavenly power. So Jesus is telling us here very clearly Public prayer is an area where we must guard against pride. But it's not the only area. And he makes that clear in the next part of his teaching. Let's move on. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So think about this. Jesus just finished critiquing the way some Jews pridefully pray, and now he critiques the way some Gentiles pridefully pray. In other words, nobody's exempt from screwing up. (laughs) People in all cultures, from all walks of life, can fall into bad patterns that undermine their ability to connect with God in healthy ways. Now, depending on your Bible translation, verse 8 might have the word pagans instead of the word Gentiles. Yet in the context of this passage, the words functionally mean the same thing because if you were a Gentile in that day and you were spiritually inclined, you most likely practiced a pagan religion. Paganism is the worship of multiple gods of nature. Sun gods, moon gods, rain gods, and more. And here's what's interesting. Their belief system encouraged pagans to talk to their gods incessantly. 
So the way they prayed was to repeat formulaic phrases and words over and over and over, or to take their request to one of their many gods and repeat that request over and over and over. And, and they just kept talking as if they could verbally beat the gods into submission, hoping the gods finally would relent and say, okay, okay, I'll give you what you want if you just shut up. <laughs> now, now, we don't pray like that. At least, I hope we don't. <laughs> Jesus certainly doesn't want us to pray like that, trying to bury God in a blizzard of words. And yet as I pondered this, we may not pray in that same way, but I wonder if we sometimes pray with a similar sort of attitude. I wonder if sometimes we pray as if we're trying to talk God into doing what we want. And if so, it's prideful. And it's not only prideful, it's also pointless as Jesus makes clear because we're praying to our creator who knows us better than we know ourselves. God knows what we need. And the goal of prayer is not to get God to do our will. The goal of prayer is to understand God's will and then to accept his will as it unfolds in our lives. And this only will happen if we stop talking pridefully and start listening humbly. So Jesus' point in verses 5 through 8 is clear. Pride undermines prayer because it puts us ahead of God. Humility, though, puts the focus on God and allows us to see more clearly, to see him at work in and through our prayers. A humble approach to God opens the door for him to work through our prayers in powerful ways. So that's the opening bookend to what Jesus is going to go on to say. With that opening bookend on prayer in place, Jesus now is going to present the Lord's Prayer. And he's going to show us how to pray for our needs and to pray for others while maintaining a humble attitude. And as we're going to see, the key is to pray with a kingdom perspective. A kingdom perspective. Let's continue on in verse 9. Pray then like this, Jesus says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As I said at the beginning, we often analyze this prayer by by exploring each part in great detail, and I'm not going to do that this morning because I want us to see the bigger picture. And I believe that everything in this prayer is shaped by the reality of the kingdom of God, which Jesus specifically mentions here. And, And I believe that as Christians living in the U.S., we struggle to get our heads around the idea of the kingdom of God. We live in a a democratic republic. We don't live in a kingdom with kings. But the kingdom of God is huge in the New Testament. 
and the kingdom of God is central to the ministry of Jesus. In fact, when Jesus began his public ministry, the very first words he spoke were about the kingdom. Listen to these words from the book of Mark. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in this good news. The good news that the kingdom of God is arriving. And it's so important for us to grasp this because we tend to focus almost exclusively on the fact that Jesus came to earth to save us from our sins. And he certainly did. And we are deeply grateful for that. But when Jesus redeems us, his goal then is to form us into citizens of God's kingdom. And Jesus began to build that kingdom during his life. And he wants us as his followers to keep building his kingdom until he returns. And how do we do that? We do it by living out his will. Which means we do the things that he's asked us to do. Now you might say, well, you know, Bruce, that's a really long list. (laughs) And yes, it is. But Jesus summarized it for us. He summarized his teaching in what he said was the greatest commandment of all. To love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. And to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. That's the great commandment of the kingdom of God. And so here in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is urging us to pray that God's kingdom would become a reality now and would continue to come in existence now so that the will of God is done now. And he says the greatest thing a kingdom citizen can do is to love God and to love others. And here's what blows me away. When we take this seriously and when we love as God asks us to love, then we are living out kingdom of God values. And we're modeling those values for everyone to see. And we're playing our part in building God's kingdom. And so here in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus Jesus is teaching us to keep our prayers and our lives focused on the right king and the right kingdom. A kingdom that does not promote evil, but promotes love. A love that is expressed and experienced when basic needs are met, when forgiveness is established in relationships, and when we experience freedom from temptation. Those are all things Jesus talks about in his prayer. And as you and I pray about those things, and as we work to make them a reality in our lives and in the lives of others, you and I are building the kingdom of God and here's what I've experienced in my own life the more that my prayers embrace that kingdom perspective the less selfish my prayers become I'm far less likely to ask God to indulge my wants and instead I ask him to meet my basic needs. My daily bread, Lord, that's all I need. And I learned to be content with that. The more that I incorporate this kingdom perspective into my prayers, the more I find myself eagerly, joyfully praying for others more and more and more because the kingdom is not about me, the kingdom is about us. 
And that's why Jesus throughout this prayer uses plural pronouns, our Father, our daily bread. A kingdom perspective helps me to be more mindful of other kingdom citizens as I pray. And the more I pray from a kingdom perspective, the more I notice what God's doing around me. I think think it equips me to see things that I otherwise might have missed, and I find God giving me opportunities to live out my love for him and my love for others. And the more I find him giving me opportunities to invite others into his kingdom. So embracing a kingdom perspective, oh, does it change the way I pray. And it changes the way I live. And as that happens, I am far more likely to see the power of heaven at work in and through my prayers because I'm praying about things that matter to God, things that are close to the heart of God, and I'm striving to live them out. And in my view, that's the essence of the Lord's Prayer. Praying about all things from a kingdom perspective and believing that the kingdom of God is in fact coming now and is continuing to come until Jesus returns. Well, now we've reached the end of the prayer, but we haven't yet reached the end of Jesus' teaching because he wants to bracket his prayer with a closing bookend. And he opened with humility, and now he's going to end with forgiveness, as we see in verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So Jesus mentioned forgiveness in the prayer. He used the word debts. Here he uses the word trespasses. He's talking about all the things that we do that hurt each other. (laughs) All the ways we screw up our human relationships. And he says in the prayer, I want you to forgive the way God forgives you. And he doesn't want us to miss it, which is why after he gives us that sample prayer, he reinforces it this way. Forgiveness is a core value in God's kingdom because without forgiveness from God the Father, you and I can't become children of God. And why does God forgive us? Because he loves us and he wants us to extend that same love to others. And so if we allow a lack of forgiveness to permeate our relationships, well, that's contrary to what God wants and it flies in the face of Jesus' great kingdom commandment, which is to love God and to love others. And a lack of forgiveness results in two major problems, which is why Jesus highlights the need to be forgiving people. If if I'm holding a grudge against someone, or if I refuse to let go of my anger and forgiveness, or excuse me, my anger and bitterness, well then I've got obviously a problem with that other person. It creates a barrier between us. But it also creates a barrier between me and God. Forgiveness lies at the very heart of our faith. Without forgiveness, Christianity wouldn't exist. 
And what Jesus wants us to understand is that a lack of forgiveness will in fact hinder our prayers. It will rob our prayers of their power and effectiveness. And here's the question that occurs to me. Can I really expect the power of heaven to be at work in me and through me if I refuse to forgive? Now having said that, I know that forgiveness doesn't always come easy. In the course of my life, I have been deeply hurt by people that I loved. I have been betrayed by people I trusted. And so I know it's not easy to just say, oh, I forgive you. Sometimes it's really, really hard. Yet Jesus wants us to know that it's possible. And the antidote to a lack of forgiveness, the way forward is through prayer. And and here's what I find. When I make it a practice to pray regularly, regardless of the topic, my heart just becomes more open to God because I'm spending time in the presence of my Heavenly Father. And when I spend time talking with God, He always softens my heart. I can't tell you how often I'm in the midst of just a horrible day and I take a break to pray and as I just say, oh, Father, I want to just spend some time in your presence. And I can feel that fresh breath of the Holy Spirit just go whoosh and breathe peace into my mind and my heart and my soul. That, that softening work of God's spirit is always chipping away at the hard shell that I might want to build up around my heart. And that softening of the spirit paves the way for me to pray about forgiveness. Even toward people that in my weakness and broken humanity I would prefer not to forgive. But as I pray, oh, I get to see God's power work in me as he gives me a forgiving heart. And it is so incredible to see God change you to experience that transformation. And I see God equip me to ask for forgiveness when I mess up and then to be able to extend forgiveness to those who have hurt me, even if they've hurt me deeply. And that's the power of heaven at work in my prayers. And that power of heaven can work in your prayers the same way. Because I said at the outset, sometimes I think the greatest change God wants to accomplish when we pray is to change us. To form us more into his image. And oh, he wants to give us forgiving hearts. So Jesus here, through the Lord's Prayer and through these two bookends, he wants us to know that prayer does change things. And this is particularly true when we pray with humility, when we pray with a kingdom perspective, and we pray with a forgiving heart. Jesus is inviting us to embrace this teaching so we each can experience the power of heaven at work in us in response to our prayers. 
And I wonder, what might that look like in your life? I encourage you to ask God about that this week as you pray. And see what God might want to do in your life to enrich your own experience of prayer. Now, as I said earlier, a kingdom perspective always encourages us not just to pray for ourselves, but also for others. And this morning is one particular way, one specific way to apply what we've learned. I want to invite you to become part of a movement of kingdom prayer. Several years ago, churches in Eugene and Springfield decided to partner together in a community-wide prayer initiative called One Church, One Day. And the goal is to have multiple churches praying for specific community needs. That's part of loving others. Pray for specific community needs. And having this team of churches pray, the goal was then that prayer would be taking place across our community and for our community every single day. The goal is to extend God's love deeper and deeper into our community and see God work to help build the kingdom of God. Well, as of this month, Thurston Christian Church now is part of this prayer team, which means on a monthly basis, we're all going to have the opportunity to pray in unity with the larger family of God and to pray specifically for our community. I want to explain what this looks like. So One Church, One Day is a partnership currently of 53 churches, and each church takes or is assigned to one day per month. You might be saying, wait a second, there's more than, I mean, there's not 53 days in a month, right? <laughs> so some days have more than one church assigned to them. And each church, as they pray, is praying for 10 specific sectors of our community life, these sectors that influence the culture of the Eugene Springfield community. And we're praying because we're asking God to unleash the power of heaven right where we live to transform our community, and to bring about the kingdom of God. And the churches unite to pray for these 10 areas. These are, this is the focus of our community prayer. So we pray for the church in Eugene Springfield. And we're talking about Bible-believing, Jesus-loving churches. It doesn't matter what the name is on the door. If you love Jesus, if you're committed to the word of God, you are part of the church and we're praying for you. We pray for education. Does anybody doubt that education has a significant influence on our culture? <laughs> Praying for the education sector. Praying for families, government, business, healthcare, the arts. If you're not into the arts scene here, arts is huge in this area, particularly in Eugene. And some of what comes out of the arts community is really good and some is not. We're praying for God's spirit to bring about change in that area. Praying for the media. Does media influence culture? <laughs> Police and fire departments. Just imagine... Just imagine what life in our community would be like if we didn't have police officers and if we didn't have fire department people. I mean, you'd have anarchy and chaos. Huge part of our community that we value. And sports. And it's not just going to the game. Think about all of the youth sports and all of that stuff. Coaches and parents. Oh my goodness, it's a huge part of our culture. So we pray for these 10 areas because they significantly influence and shape our culture and they have a huge impact on the quality of life in our, com our, our community. And here's, here's the way this works. The, 
the One Church One Day Prayer Movement has organized a prayer team of people who work in each of these areas to come together and pray for those areas. So for example, in the area of government, we have Christians who are governmental leaders in Springfield, Eugene, and Lane County. They've been formed into a small prayer team. They come together once a month and they talk about what's going on in government and how can we pray for government and they pray and they develop lists of prayer requests for their area of community life that then are distributed to every church as part of the prayer team. So the people that are speaking into this and helping us learn how to pray are people who work in this area. A number of years ago, Rob Ness over here, Rob was working for the Register Guard. Rob was part of the media prayer team for uh, several years, praying for that area that he was working in, helping to create prayer requests that would come to us so that we could pray for that area of our life together along with others. Now, what happens is every church as part of this team follows a published prayer guide that comes out of what these 10 prayer teams do. If you look in the bulletin, you'll see our first prayer guide this morning. And I want to encourage you to keep that handy and to be ready to use it. And you can use it at any time, but because it's called One Church, One Day, we've been assigned a particular day as a church. And so our monthly day of prayer is the second Tuesday of each month. That's this week. So we're gonna start in two days. Again, you can use this prayer guide at any time. But what, here's what I think is really powerful. I'm gonna find it exciting to know that when I pray through that prayer guide on Tuesday, that a whole bunch of you are praying with me. And that we're uniting as a church to pray for these 10 areas of community life, asking God to be at work to bring about the kingdom of God and to accomplish his will right where we live. Now we recognize that not everybody has a schedule that's conducive to praying on a weekday. So we've set up what we call a bonus day. It's in the same week, it'll be the second Saturday of each month. So if your schedule doesn't allow you extra time to pray through this list during the week, then we want you to pray on Saturday. And I hope there'll be a bunch of people praying on Saturday together as well. Because we don't have to be physically together to be praying together. But when we pray, knowing that other believers are also praying, Oh, there's rich, rich power in that. And as we pray, we're going to believe that prayer changes things. Now, we know that prayer changes things. We've seen it in our own lives. We've seen it through One Church One Day. As I mentioned, it started several years ago, and there's already hundreds of documented answers to these community-wide prayers. I want to highlight two examples. We believe that the church can have great influence as we connect with and support our local public schools. We call them church partnerships. And the goal is to build trusting relationships with school personnel. Our goal is to bring God's light and love into our schools in practical ways and where God gives us opportunities to draw people toward his kingdom. Excuse me, as you probably know, our church already has a special partnership with Ridgeview Elementary School around the corner. But historically, most schools in Eugene Springfield did not have a church partner. And so the One Church, One Day prayer team made this a priority. They said, we need to pray that more schools would have partnerships with churches. And God's answered that prayer because today, most schools in Eugene and Springfield have a church partner. Some of them have more than one. 
And we've even had principals of schools where there was no church partner. They heard about it from another principal who said, this is an awesome thing when people from these churches come into our schools and love on us and serve us and help us bless these kids and families. And then the principal, who's principal of a school without a church partnership, some of them have gone and literally knocked on the doors of churches and said, would you be our partner? (laughs) Think about that. Public school, saying to a church, Come and partner with us to be a blessing to kids and families because we've heard that this is a really great thing. Well, that all happened because God's people were praying and prayer changes things. Here's a second example. You may not be aware that Lane County has the highest, highest rate per capita of children in foster care. And that's sad. And not only do we have huge numbers of kids in care, historically there's been a vast shortage of trained adults willing to be foster parents. And it wasn't unusual for there to be situations like this. Here's a family that's been certified to have three kids in foster care and they're caring for five, six, seven, eight because no one else was available to help. I've heard stories from the DHS office that has to watch over these kids and try and get them into good care where a child, unfortunately, because they're at risk, is taken out of the home, and they've sat there in the office all day long while the DHS worker's on the phone saying, can you take them, can you take them? No, I can't, no, I can't. And at the end of the day, there's no home for that child. And the DHS worker goes and checks into a hotel, keeps the child with them, comes back the next day, starts working the phone again. Well, the churches in our community learned about that and said, we need to make some changes. God, would you make some changes? So they made that a priority through this community prayer list. And churches in our community got together and started a new nonprofit called Every Child. And Every Child works directly with DHS, with the government, to recruit, mobilize, train, and support foster parents. And as a result of several years of consistent prayer, we now have more foster parents than ever before. The overcrowding situation in foster homes is being reduced, which means these kids who are in desperate situations are getting better care. God's at work. Change is happening because God's people have been praying. And so the elders and I are inviting all of you to embrace our church's part in this One Church, One Day movement. So we want to invite you to pick a day this week, either Tuesday or Saturday, and set aside some extra time to pray. Become an active part in this movement of kingdom prayer. Go through that prayer guide and talk with God about the items that are listed, knowing that they've come out of people who work in those sectors of our community and they've identified specific needs that need to be addressed. And as we continue to pray together, month in and month out, let's ask God to unleash the power of heaven. Transform our community. And build his kingdom. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that Jesus took the time to teach us to pray. Help us never to forget that when we pray humbly, when we pray with a kingdom perspective, when we pray with hearts full of forgiveness, 
And we get to watch as you do incredible things through our prayers. So Lord, kindle within us a deep passion for prayer. And as we pray, we would ask that we might see the power of heaven at work in our lives, in our church, and in our community. May we be a part of building your kingdom, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.